Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. picture it, couldn't you? Can you picture being there, watching this scene? And it isn't just that it's a good story, it's a very important story. I believe, no matter how long you've been a Christian, this is a story we ought to visit time and time again. It has something very important to teach us, and I'm so glad that I get to do that with you today. As we look back at the story, I want to highlight a few important things. First of all, Jesus leaves Judea and he goes to Galilee. And he takes a route through Samaria. That was the shortest route to Galilee, 70 miles. Two and a half days it would take to do that walk. Now, that was not the only way. There was another way to get to Galilee and, or in Judea and back and forth. It was actually around Jericho, the Jordan Valley, crossing the Jordan River twice. And there you would get there almost twice as long as the way that Jesus took. So you might say, well, it's good. Jesus took the shortcut. But here's the thing. This is Samaria. And Samaria was a town that Jews would not visit. See, hundreds of years back, the people of Israel divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Ten tribes of Israel stayed in the north. Two tribes stayed in the south. And then they argued about where the temple ought to be built. Each of them built a temple, and they said this was the temple where worshiping was supposed to take place. The Jews in Judea believed that the people of the north had perverted the faith, specifically these people in Samaria, because there in Samaria, the Assyrians had landed and the Jews had intermarried with other cultures, taken on some idol worship, and perverted the faith. So Samarians were despised by Jews. Jewish people would not walk through this way, even though it was the shortest way, the most practical way, because the Romans had built this road. It was safe and protected. They did not do this. They would go around the mountain to go to, go to Galilee. But Jesus takes this way, a Jew himself, and he stops at Jacob's well. Another important thing of the story, you see, Jacob's well is significant because Jacob is the patriarch who God calls Israel himself. God gives him this name. Why? Because his 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jacob had this land and he built this well to feed his flock, his family. And it has stayed there. It's still there today, by the way. You can actually visit it to the church on top of it. But it was significant because it signified the united nation of Israel through which God blessed all nations. God chose the people of Israel, blessed them, and through them, they would bless all nations. So Jacob's wall represents the unity of God's people. And it wasn't. It was in Samaria where the Jews would not even go. There was division amongst God's people. And so Jesus, after walking I'm thinking this is sort of halfway there, right? A day and a half. It's noon. It's hot. He sits. He's thirsty. 
A woman comes to the well to draw water. That would have been unusual in itself because normally the women would go in the morning. Here she comes at noon at the hottest time of the day to seek water for herself, for her family, and Jesus asks her for water. You can understand her reaction, right? First of all, in the Jewish culture, a man was not supposed to talk to a woman in public like that by themselves, let alone a Jew speaking to a Samaritan. They were despised by Jews. So she immediately responds, wait, wait, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman. You're a Jew. You're a man. And Jesus responds to her, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked me. See, she came to seek for water, which we all need, right? We need it for life. It's essential. But that water would not satisfy her need. The needs of her heart were much greater than that water could satisfy. What Jesus had to offer was much greater, something she could never get herself. There was no place to find it but in himself. And that was absolutely a gift from him. She couldn't earn that. There was nothing she could do to get that. And he offers it to a woman, a woman in town known as the bad girl, the girl with the reputation. Notice that in the conversation, she reveals her story because Jesus prompts her, go get your husband. And she turns out to be a woman that's been had had five husbands, now living with a man that's not even her husband. So she's a woman, that girl, the bad girl. She is a Samaritan that despised people. She is a sinner. And Jesus is talking to her, and he is offering to her the gift of living water. Later in John, in chapter 7, John explains what this living water is. Jesus actually goes to a large crowd and tells them, Come to me, all of you who are thirsty. Drink. And what he's really saying is, at one point, once I die on the cross and I'm resurrected, the Holy Spirit will be within you. And there, from the Holy Spirit, you will have that eternal need met. And so he's offering this to this woman. Now, the thing that you need to remember is... The people were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for hundreds of years for God to fulfill the promise that one day one would come and save them. But they expected that promise to come to them, to be revealed to them. And Jesus reveals himself not only to be the source of life, the source of this living water, but then he reveals himself as the Messiah to her. Something the Jews were waiting to hear about. He tells a woman, a bad woman, a Samaritan despised, an outsider, a reject, a sinner. He tells her. He goes to the outside and he tells them. He tells, you know, you realize that the Jews live with Gentiles, non-Jews, and they dealt with each other. They had to just get along because they were in that city. But Samaritans were lower than the Jews. So for Jesus to reveal himself, to a Samaritan would just be unheard of. Could you imagine her reaction? When she realizes, he's saying to me, I am he, the one who is talking to you. I am the awaited Messiah. And just as this conversation is taking place, the disciples come back with their groceries after going to market, and they stop because they see Jesus having this conversation with the women. Now, you know, have you ever walked into a conversation that's a little awkward? 
Like two people are talking and you, you sort of bump into the conversation and everyone sort of freezes and looks at you funny and you look at them funny and no one knows who to say, you know, what to do next. No one has experienced this? Okay, you have, right? You know that feeling of, okay, what, what do we, who says what? What do we say now? And you can see the disciples probably talking amongst each other. He's talking to a woman. She's Samaritan. What is he doing? But they don't dare to ask. And while this awkward moment is taking place, the woman takes off. She leaves behind her jar. Now, her jar was the most important thing to her. Realize, she would have one jar. It, was, it wasn't like she had at home a whole series of jars, you know, big ones and small ones, some with handles, some purple and some green. One jar. And she walked a mile to get this water. She gets to the well, she leaves the jar, and now she has no jar, no water. But what does she have? She has the living water. She has the message, and she's running home. For a mile, she's thinking about what she just experienced. And the minute she gets to town, mind you, these are people who did not like her. She's going to the well at noon because she knows that no one likes her, that when she's in public, she might run into one of those five husbands. And, or at least she would hear people talking about her, sneering behind her back, gossiping. Maybe the looks were enough to kill, right? She goes straight to those people and she says, come, come. I have met a man who knows everything about me and yet he loves me. He came to me. He spoke to me. He knows my story. He did not reject me. He does not see me as an outcast. He was not willing to get rid of me. He did not look bad at me. He did not gossip about me. He said no harsh words. He just revealed himself to me. Come. Come meet him. Could he be the one that you have been waiting for? And so they come. And this woman Right after John the Baptist, the first evangelist, she becomes the next evangelist in John's gospel. And she shares with everyone the reality that Jesus has come, that God is here amongst us, and is here to reconcile the world to himself. You see, in 2 Corinthians, as we read this morning, we are made into a new creation when we believe in Jesus Christ. No longer judged by the standards of the world, but judged by his standards. And now we are ambassadors for Christ. We are sent out into the world to reconcile the world to God. Taking God's hand on one side and the hand of humanity on the other and bringing them together in unity. Do you see the picture? This is why I love this story. You know, I relate to her. My story is like hers. I would say I'm a woman at the well. I've been divorced twice. My husband and I, when we first met, we did not have a godly relationship. I can't say that we were doing things right. I have a past. I'm that woman. I'm just like her. But God, in his mercy, in the middle of my sin, walked in and revealed himself to me and said, I love you. You matter. You don't have to live that way anymore. I have a new way. And I became a believer, and I was on fire. If you think I have passion, let me tell you, I had passion 
when I became a believer. And I wanted to serve and I wanted to share my, the gospel with people. I was on fire. And we started going to Mariner's Church and we got involved with the free wheelchair mission. And we're taking trips around the world, delivering wheelchairs. It was awesome. One day, the senior pastor says to me, hey, I, I want you to lead a group of people to Peru, uh, it, uh, leaders from our church, so they can experience what it's like to deliver wheelchairs. Okay. Now we have the senior pastor, his wife, several elders, the chairman of the board of the elder board, pastors of the church, leaders of the church. Now, how intimidated do you think I felt? I was petrified. So we get, we managed to do, you know, get to the trip, and two days into the trip, my husband and the men get together for a little fireside chat, and they stay up pretty late, so I don't get to talk to them. And next morning, we're having breakfast, and the senior pastor who, you know, I knew, but I didn't know that well, sits right next to me. And he says something that tells me he knows my story. Kind of like Jesus said to her, yeah, I know, I know your story. And at that moment, it was like a fire started burning inside of me. I was filled with shame. I started to recognize, oh my gosh, yes, what's going to happen? Now remember, you know, I'll tell you that when we, my husband and I, started and became believers, we did not hide our story. We were open with people. This is our story. This is our brokenness. God has redeemed this because I was on fire for what God had done for us. But when we said it, it always was painful. It's hard to admit your faults, right? Isn't it hard sometimes to share our stuff? It was hard to do, and we tended to do it together so we can support each other through it. It often came with tears, And, you know, here he went and shared our story, and he didn't tell me anything about it. And now the pastor knows. So I get up from the table, and I go to the bread table, and I'm trying to compose myself. And they're over there kind of wondering what happened to me. And I'm standing at the table going, okay, God, it's not a big deal that they know. I share this story. I am redeemed, but I'm not feeling any better, you guys. At that moment, I'm thinking, if there could be a hole beneath me that takes me all the way to Japan, that would be more less awkward than what I'm feeling right now. And I start to cry and cry and cry. I can't stop crying because I'm starting to get mad at God. Did you remember the reading this morning from Jeremiah? Lord, you have deceived me. You have called me to do your work. And now people are rejecting me. And I'm thinking, God, did you do this on purpose? Is this the way that you work? You call me to work. You save me. And now you ridicule me. What am I doing here in Peru with the senior pastor of my church, with these leaders? Why am I the one leading? I'm sure there were a lot of people in the Mariner's Church that could have done this. They didn't, you don't need me to do this. And so then we got to the bus because we had to keep moving, you know. And I went straight to the back of the bus, and I am crying. I can't stop crying. I can't lead. I'm a mess. And one of the elders, bless his heart, he gets in front of the church, of the bus, and he starts reading from Ephesians about the full armor of God. And while I'm having my little argument with God, he's reading. Put on the full armor of God, the the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, which is Jesus' righteousness, not your own. The helmet of salvation, that's security that will never be taken away. The shoes of hope, the shield of faith, from which you can defend yourself from the arrows of the enemy. And the sword of God's word. And as I'm putting these things on in my mind, I have the sense that God's telling me this. What do you think that you are? 
You don't get to choose who I use or not use. There are people in this bus waiting for you to lead them. I've chosen you. I get to choose. Not your choice. Now, come on, wipe up. Get to work. You know, and I, you know, I, I probably looked pretty bad, but I got up and we got through the day. We got through the rest of the trip. So I'm the woman of the well. I've been chosen. I have doubts. I sometimes disqualify myself, but I'm not the only one. Moses disqualified himself, right? God called him. Oh, I can't speak all that well. I've sinned myself. Peter told Jesus, get away from me. I am a sinful man. I'm not the only one. We tend to do this. I'm thinking maybe you do too, no matter how long you've been a Christian. It's easy for us to be on fire at first, but soon we start to get comfortable, we start to get scared, and we don't stretch, and we don't listen to God's voice, and and if we hear it, we don't do what he asks because we have all kinds of reasons why we should not be it. But I have news for you. You have been chosen. Jesus says, you did not choose me, I chose you. He chose you, sir. Nice blue shirt. And you, back there, he shows you, ma'am. You are chosen. He wants you. You are the woman of the well. Okay, some of you are guys. But it's not the gender thing, right? Not any one of us doesn't have brokenness. He's chosen you. He's calling you. He's taken the first step. He's coming to your life. Now it's up to you. I love that the church is now debt-free. You know the work you can do. God's calling you to lean in. And this story, I hope, invites you to take courage and move forward. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again. Thanks again.